Alright, so we're going to talk about resolutions. Now, the interesting thing is I'm going to sort of turn the table on you a little bit because so often at this junction in our year, you're thinking about your own resolutions, the things you want to change, the things you want to do differently for 2024, the things you want to leave behind and the, and the new things you want to start. So at this time of year, lots of people join the gym because they say, I'm going to exercise this year, you know, and it didn't work last year, so you're going to try it again. You know, there's so many opportunities for you to make adjustments and to make decisions and to say, I'm going to do this. I will, in 2024, accomplish this goal. Instead of doing that, which those are good, it's good to have goals. Instead of doing that, what I want us to do, because we're here because of Jesus, is look at the resolutions which he made, the things that he promised to do for us. I think that'll encourage us because like the potato, we don't always succeed at our own thing. Jesus always succeeds. Jesus always keeps his promises. He never fails. He cannot fail. He cannot lie. He is not a man. He cannot fail because he is God. He has all power and all wisdom and all knowledge. And he applies that in our lives as we follow him in faith. So, I had read this Bible study by Ashley Hooker, and I just took some of the outline from that, so I'm going to give her credit. I took some of the outline for that because I loved it. I thought it was a great way to start the new year. So the first thing that we have to re- resolve is we have to understand what a resolution is. See, a resolution is defined as a firm decision to do or to not do something. doesn't matter what that thing is. And it it's, it's similar to a promise, and so I'm going to use the two of them, mostly promise, because that's what we're used to in the church, but a promise is a declaration that something will or will not be done. So see, they're very similar definitions. Resolution is sort of like the mental state of being resolved inside of yourself with a firm purpose or a firm decision, and so those two things kind of go Go hand in hand, right? If you're going to make a decision, it starts in your mind. It's, it's like, I'm going to do such and such. And then you start to work it out in your life. So one is assuring that something will be done. And the other is the mindset that you're going to do it. So that, that's sort of the, the little difference between the two words. And so I'm going to use them interchangeably here. But throughout the New Testament, Jesus makes a lot of promises. He tells us what he's going to do. And he often prefaces those promises with these words, I will, I will. So if you're going to read through the New Testament, you know, in the next few days or in the next few weeks, or if you're going to resolve to read through the Bible or whatever, sometimes it's it's Old Testament, New Testament, and a psalm. So the way that reading the Bible through the year um, sort of puts it together is that you read an Old Testament passage, you read a psalm, and then you read a New Testament passage. And they usually start you in the Gospels. So you'll be hearing the words of Jesus as they're recorded for us. Use a little colored pencil or something like that. And every time you see Jesus say, I will, start underlining that because those are the promises. There's there's more than 30 of them in the Gospels where Jesus promises us. Now, don't worry. This morning, we're not going to go through all 30. We're going to go through a few of them. I want to share with you six of them, actually. Promises, resolutions that you can go to the bank with that will happen because Jesus has promised they will. Because here's the thing. There's something psychological that goes on in our minds around a promise, especially if someone breaks a promise, right? 
We start to not trust anymore. So if someone is, is known for breaking promises, they say all kinds of things, but then they never follow through. I promise you, I'll be there at 6 a.m. every morning. I'll be your workout buddy. And then at 6 a.m., at 6.30, at 7 o'clock every morning, they don't show up. Oh, I overslept. Oh, I overslept again. Oh, I was so tired. They got excuse after excuse after excuse. After a few weeks of that, you're not looking for your workout buddy anymore. You're looking for a new workout buddy. You're looking for someone else who will follow through, right? So as humans, we have a hard time keeping our promises. So big or small, when someone breaks a promise, we go through a slew of emotions, right? In our heart and in our mind. And this, this made me consider why we put so much power into a promise. Why do we put so much, so much uh, trust into a promise? Well, there's something about us that we want someone who will keep all their promises. Again, I talked about that God-shaped void in our lives. I think that's part of God filling us with hope and filling us with love and life is that he is that person who always keeps his word, who always keeps his promises. Nobody else is that good, right? He's the perfect lamb of God. He's the one who can do it perfectly, We can set out to do the best. We can try so hard. And with all our willpower, we can try, try, try. And we will still fail. There's still places where we can't fulfill what we wanted to fulfill. But I want to tell you, that's not true for Jesus. He will fulfill everything he has promised to fulfill. He's not going to come in at, you know, 95%. He's going to come in at 100% every time. And so we get angry and disappointed when someone makes a promise to us and breaks it. But we can't be angry at God. He has never broken his promises. So we need to consider what a promise really is. Because it has a lot of power to either make us distrustful or to make us resentful, to make us angry. We need to understand that a promise should not just be empty words from someone's mouth. It's not meaningless. A promise is a commitment, and it is meant to be taken seriously. That's why when someone breaks a promise to you, somehow it hurts. Either in your mind or in your heart or somewhere in your emotions, there's like a, uh, there's like a drop in your spirit because the promise has been broken. Because our expectation, or maybe the way that we were designed, is that promises will be kept. But keeping promises is hard work. When we promise something, we may have to arrange our schedules. We have to say no to other opportunities in, in order to make that commitment stick. And the message of a promise is an affirmation of love, or of respect at least, of friendship, of human connection... When someone makes a promise to you, it says someone cares about you. Now, one of the most public settings in which we see this is at the altar during a wedding ceremony. The the fiancés, the the, the man and the woman, they, they make promises to each other. The desire is to keep those promises. They know they're human, and they know that it won't be easy, and they know they may have to fail and 
offer forgiveness on some type of regular basis, but their hearts, if they're in the right place, are really to keep those promises. And when we keep a promise, when we make a promise and keep it, it does express that we love that person. We care about that person. We care about keeping our word to them. And since the beginning of time, people have been making promises because promises hold value and they hold importance. Even in our society, there's all kinds of you know, promises between nations and neighboring nations and NATO. and all, you know, People are making these commitments to each other and intending to keep them. But when we break them, it doesn't feel good. So what we have to watch out for as humans is, is actually thinking that Jesus might be something like those people or like ourselves, that he has the best intentions, but he may not be able to keep his commitments. Like I said, he is one like no other. There is no one like Christ, and he keeps his promises. Jesus knew the importance of a promise. That's why he made more than 30 of them in his short three years of ministry. He knew it was important. He knew what it it meant to us as humans and what it would mean to us as Christians. So these I will statements, these I will statements are Jesus declaring his promises to us. So let's get into it. There's just six of them this morning, and these statements will help to assure that we understand who Christ is and that he can be counted on in 2024. So as we sort of put 2023 to bed and open up the pages of 2024, we want to focus on Christ, and we want to focus on the fact that he can be trusted for this new year. No matter what comes, he will be with us. So let's look at just six of these promises. The first one is the, probably the most important promise, and that is his promise of salvation, right? So it starts right there. He has promised to save us. There is no other Savior. There's no one else who can save us. He has promised salvation to us. The first promise that we have to discuss comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 6. And again, in in Revelation, we have Jesus speaking there in the Revelation to John in in Revelation 3.20. I'll start with the Revelation 3.21 and then go back to the Gospel of John. Listen to this, this word. He says, See, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door... I will come in, and I will eat with him, and he with me. If anyone opens the door, hears my voice, opens the door, I will come in. So this is, this is a little picture of salvation, right? If we are opening our lives to Jesus and saying, come into my life, he's not going to stand there and tap his foot and go, yeah, I don't think so. I know what you're really like. That's not Jesus. If anyone, it says, if anyone opens the door, hears his voice. So so there's some kind of recognition that the spirit of God or that God is at work. Hears the voice and invites Jesus into their life. He says, I will. That's a promise. I will come in to your life. So this should help those of you who are like, oh, am I saved or am I not saved? Am I saved or am I not saved? You know, this should give you a little more assurance of salvation because Jesus keeps his promises. So if you heard his voice, if at some point in your spiritual journey, you understood that there's 
there's sort of like a, a partnership. There's something that I have to agree to. There's something that I need to open myself up to with God so that I can experience the fullness of God. Let me pray or let me speak to him, speak to the heavens and say, listen, if you're real, come into my life. He will come in. He promises to do that. That's how good he is. So this is in the book of Revelation, and Christ is speaking, yes, to the church in Laodicea, and he promises that anyone who hears his voice and opens the door will receive him. He will come in and eat with them. The whole eat with them thing is, a, is a, a, an idea of like fellowship. We're here together. We're having a meal. We're, we're, we're enjoying each other's presence. This isn't like I'll come in and examine him and put him on the, put him on the stand and, and, and treat him, you know. Harshly, this is, I've come in and warmly be received in your life. So the other passage that ties in with this, again, is Jesus' own words in the Gospels in, in, in John chapter 6. He says, everyone that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, what does it say? I will never cast out. I didn't hear any of you on that. Whoever comes to me, what does it say? I will never cast out. That's a promise. If you've come to Jesus, and now you've sort of been a bad boy or a bad girl, does he cast you out? I will never cast you out. Does your relationship suffer a little bit? Yes, it does. Right? So there are consequences. But he's not going to cast you out because you failed in 2023. There were some things that you, know, you, you got into that you shouldn't have gotten into. If you repent of your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from some, all unrighteousness. So this is the goodness of God, and these are the promises of God. So if, if you have already come to him because it was the Father's will that you responded to the gospel, it's the Holy Spirit's work that you opened your life to him, and he has come in, regardless of how good you've been from that day on, he will never cast you out. This should bring peace to your heart. It also should bring a desire to draw back to him. He's that good. Like we talked about a few weeks ago, the prodigal father who was waiting for the prodigal son to return, it was when the prodigal son came back to his right mind, the scripture says, and remembered his father and how loving his father was even to his servants that he said, oh, I want to go back there. Even if I have to be a servant in my father's house, that's a better place than living in the pig pen. So he realized the father's love. So it draws us back to the father. So yes, we all have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God because of our sin. We can't earn our righteousness. But by the grace of God and the love of God, if we turn to him and invite him into that situation, even into that sinful situation, he will clean it up. He'll show you how to get out of it. Some people feel trapped by their sin, but there's a way out. Jesus is, what is he? The way. He's the way out, right? So if you feel like, oh, 2023, I got so deep and dark in sin, I'll never get out. The chains are too big. Nobody can break them. That's a lie. Jesus has the power to break the, the power of sin in your life. And he did it on the cross. And as you walk Towards him, as you welcome him into your life, he will empower you and work through the Spirit to free you. And it's a process, yeah. 
but it's a process of growing up and learning and, and being able to discern better and learn how to find the way out when he provides a way out during temptation. And, and, and it's the whole discipleship process that we taught about last fall. So this is, this is important, and this is why I spent the most time on this particular thing. Because Christ has, Christ has been clearly saying he will take us in, he will care for us, he will make us new. He will wash away our sins. He will help us to walk in righteousness, his righteousness, as we walk into a new life. And we avoid an eternity of life without him. So when we are in the hands of God, no one can pluck us from his hands. No one can take us from that because he has promised to hold us and to hold us fast and to help us through till the end. So the second thing that Jesus said, I will to, is this idea that, that we have a purpose. Because we're not just sort of wasting time here on earth until heaven comes or until Christ comes again. There's a purpose. There's something that's supposed to be happening here on earth as we walk with God, as we grow close to him. There's something that should be happening. So if you've sort of lost your way in 2023 and you feel like life is a little meaningless as you sort of enter 2024, you have nothing to look forward to, I want you to be be renewed in your purpose in God. Because he created you for a purpose. Scripture reveals that our life does have meaning. We were created by God and given unique purposes, but not all the same. Remember when when Paul had to teach the church about about the parts of the body, you know? The hand is not the foot, and the eye is not the the foot. We all have particular purposes within God's body, but we all have one, and we're all encouraged to be fruitful with it. We're actually warned not to bury our talents. Don't bury those talents. Use them. Use them and, and make more. You know, Be fruitful with them as Jesus taught us to. You see, some Christians, including myself at times, are, are hard on ourselves. right? And when we're hard on ourselves, we feel insecure in using our gifts and our abilities, and, and that then prevents God from pouring out his blessing through us. It's not because of us, but it's, but it's through us that he blesses other people. Before I began preaching and teaching on a regular basis, I never thought I could help anyone by opening my mouth and talking. It just wasn't on my mind. It wasn't something that I thought I could do. I would listen to other great preachers, my dad, one of them, and think like, oh, yeah, I could never do that. He's good at that. I'm terrible at that, right? So I I sort of disqualified myself. I compared myself with others. This happens to more than just preachers. It happens to a lot of us. We see someone who's really good at something, really gifted in something, and then we say like, oh, well, I'm not, I can't, I can't do that. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. But listen to the words of Jesus, and this is to every disciple. Jesus says, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So you don't have to make yourself a fisher of men. You don't have to figure it all out in your tiny little brain, right? He will make you a fisher of men. How? By following him. So it's that that idea of drawing close to him. Christ is clearly promising that if we follow him, 
He will work through us. I will make you into fishers of men. I'll do the work, but I'll do it through transforming you, through, through making you a disciple, to making you usable. That's another word we could use in the kingdom. If you are entering into this new year feeling inadequate, feeling like a failure, feeling useless, like you've got nothing to offer, I want to remind you what Jesus said. He promised to make you into someone useful, a fisher of men. Now, that's a broad category, but basically it means building his kingdom, sharing the love of God one by one with other people, and they then come to the realization that God is real and what Christ did is for them as well, and then they join the family, the kingdom of God, and the kingdom is expanding through making fishers of men. He leads the transformation. It's him doing it. So often we forget that and we try to do it ourselves or we think that somehow I can't do this. The truth is you can't, not without Christ. All we need to do is follow him. By faith, follow him. He'll do the rest. And what does he do or how does he do it? Well, that brings us to the third one. The third one is guidance. He promises to guide us. You see, because we're human, and even though we're Christian, we're not free from being distracted. And when we get distracted, sometimes we get lost. We miss the exit. We miss the turn. We forget what street we're supposed to be on. We get, we're distracted. We're talking in the car. Or we're listening to the radio or something like that. And we just get distracted. And all of a sudden, we go, where am I? What, what, am, I, what am I doing here? I wasn't meant to be here, you know? So we're not free from making wrong decisions. And our sinful nature is constantly trying to tempt us every day to do that, to make the wrong decision, to be more selfish, to be more greedy, to be like the world, all those temptations that come every day. But because of that need, as humans, Jesus has come. Jesus has come to provide us guidance. Who better to give us guidance than the Son of God himself? There's no one better. There's no one better than Jesus to guide you into 2024 and through it for as many other years as you have here on earth. There's no one better to give you advice, to give you counsel, to help you make decisions. No one. So don't seek the horoscope. Or don't seek a palm reader. Or don't seek some other guru, some, some financial guru or whatever. Don't seek those things. Seek the one who can help you most. God's guidance is what we need. There's big decisions to be made in 2024. I know there is. Some of you will make gigantic decisions, life-altering decisions. Don't do it without your guide. Don't do it without Christ himself. In Luke, Jesus makes this promise. I will show you what someone is like who comes to me who hears my words and puts them into practice. I'll show you what someone is like. And this person, if you went on to read that passage, is considered wise. This person is wise because they have come to him. So we have talked about that. Invited him in, come to him, whatever. Establish that relationship. And then here's my words. Now we hear his words through his word. We also hear his words as he brings them up in our mind. 
as we think about how the word of God applies to our situation, to our conversation, or to our decision. But we don't just come to him and hear his words. We have to put them into practice. Now, put them into practice. Any of you take piano lessons when you were little? You had to sit down and you had to learn the chords or whatever they were, notes, chords, whatever they're called. I'm not a musician. But you you had to sit there and you had to practice. And when you were practicing a song for the first time, did you play it perfectly? No. It sounded horrible. Your mother's in the next room covering her ears, you know, because all of the flats and the wrong notes that you were hitting or whatever. So practice means practice. You do it again. And then you do it again, and then you do it again, and you do it again. And as you work your way through it, practice makes perfect, right? It's a little old saying. I don't know that it's perfect quite in that sense that God is perfect, but, but you get better. You get better, you get better. If you don't practice listening to God, reading his word, trying to live it out, if you, if you say, oh, no, I don't have time for that, guess what? You don't get any better. At the end of 2024, you'll be looking back on it and saying, wow, that was a waste of a year. I made some really stupid decisions. I ruined my life again. You know, you'll be making really bad decisions because you didn't practice coming to God, listening to his words, putting them into practice. Will you always get it right? Will you? Okay, no, you won't always get it right. But as you do it and as you hear his word, as you put it into practice, as your mind is transformed, as your heart is drawn back to him each time, as time goes on, you'll see more and more of God's work through your life, more and more of him changing you. And this is true for us individually, but also as a church. We need to come together, come into the presence of Jesus, hear his word like we're doing now, and then put it into practice. It's not just a textbook. We're not trying to memorize the the, the steps of the scientific process, right? It's not just the facts. It's the relationship that supports all the facts. It's the relationship of guiding us. See, guidance for our lives comes from being close to Jesus. Because look at that first part of that verse. I will show you what someone is like who comes to me. Again, it's, it's, it's a relationship. Who comes to me? Who doesn't know everything about everything, but who comes to me? Who has a relationship with me? Who builds that relationship of intimacy and, and of, of spending time in God's presence? Because God longs to know his children intimately. He knows us because he created us, but he wants the relationship, the back and forth, the community, the communion to take place. When we have a close relationship with him... He reveals his will to us, and then we can see his guidance worked out in our lives. There's a passage later on in the Gospel of John. He says, the sheep follow me because they know my voice. So maybe one of your goals for 2024 would be to just know his voice better, to understand his heart and and his, his will for your life and for for the community of believers that you're part of, to know his voice. He considers himself to be a good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and my own sheep know me. From John 10, 14. 
So that knowledge of who God is, of how he speaks to you through his word, through his spirit, and how you put it into practice helps us to fulfill our purpose. Why are we here? To build the kingdom of God. That's how we do it. Now, is it all work? No play? Absolutely not. Jesus promised us us something about rest, and that's the very next one, number four. Number four is rest and renewal. Sometimes we can get the wrong idea that being a Christian is just, you know, dying to self, working, serving others, constantly working, volunteering, doing more, buying sweatshirts, running out into the streets, doing this, doing that, and we can work ourselves to death. Do you remember these two sisters, Mary and Martha, that Jesus knew? Mary came and sat at Jesus' feet one day when he was there, and he was talking to the disciples, and they were having some time. And Martha's running around like a chicken with her head cut off. She's cooking, she's cleaning, she's, she's doing everything. You know, and then she gets mad at Mary, like, Jesus, tell her to come help me. She's a lazy... And, and, and Jesus says, wait a minute. Martha, relax, sister. She has chosen the right thing for today, right? She's chosen the right thing. Because she chose to sit at his feet. See, in order for us to be productive Christians who produce fruit and produce disciples for Jesus, make disciples for him, in order for us to be transformed and changed and renewed and become more like Christ and less like our old nature, we need rest and renewal. They are part of the flow of our lives. You can't work all the time, seven days a week, 365 days, and feel rested and renewed. Eventually, you'll break down. Our bodies, our minds, our spirits weren't made to work constantly at full speed ahead. We will have a breakdown, they used to call it. I don't know what, you know, it's just, it's just too much. We can't take all of that. We need to come to him, as he said in this invitation in Matthew 11. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. And here's his promise. Let's read it together. I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean physical rest, although it can include physical rest. It's really rest for our soul. The the part of you that is anxious, the part of you that's tired, the part of you that wants to give up, you receive rest when you come to him. Again, it's an invitation to draw close to him, come to him. Invite him in. So as we get ready to enter 2024, I want you to get that. Invite him into 2024. As you step from midnight tonight into the new year, do it with him. Do it with him. Invite him into that step. Invite him into that so that you can walk in the fullness of God. See, the greatest promise that we can receive on earth is one that says, You will never be alone, ever. I'll never leave you or forsake you. And Christ has promised us that. Sometimes we feel alone, but sometimes our feelings are not matching our faith. They don't match what is true in God's world. When we're tired, we can feel alone. When we're worn out, we're susceptible to our feelings kind of like overwhelming us because the feelings are strong. When we're, when we're feeling weak, our feelings can, can overwhelm us and help us feel burdened and, and, and broken. But Jesus assures us 
He assures us he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He will renew us. He'll help us to have a new purpose for 2024. He'll give us a renewed fire, a new flame for him. We can walk in the fullness of what he has for this new year. And all four of these point to number five, which is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes it possible. We find the promise of the Holy Spirit, again, in the Gospel of John, John 14. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. If Jesus asks the Father for anything, the Father will give it to him. We know that because the Father spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. I mean, he, he, he has given all honor and glory to Jesus. Jesus was speaking to his disciples in this particular passage because he was going to go to Calvary. He was going to go away. He was going to be murdered on that cross. And he's reassuring them that even if he's physically not present, which is where we're at right now, Jesus is not physically present with us. He is spiritually present. His Holy Spirit comes and is a counselor for us. He is the spirit of truth, that passage goes on to say. So whenever we don't know what's true, we can ask the spirit, reveal to me the truth. Help me to understand what's true here. Because it's confusing. The world's a confusing place. And it's only getting more confusing, isn't it? All kinds of lies and half lies and half truths are just spinning around all the time. And you want to just like, you know, scream and say, what is actually true out there? Everybody's got a, an, an angle and a different pers- you know, persuasion, a different perspective. What is actually true? Well, the Holy Spirit knows what's true. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. So our relationship with God through the Spirit can help to make us able to walk according to truth. Or walk in the light, as scripture calls it, and not in the darkness. Because the Holy Spirit gives us understanding. The Holy Spirit gives us comfort when we need it. He empowers us with strength when we're weary. The Holy Spirit is God present with us now, in this place, in our lives. Because Christ did not return to the Father and leave us as orphans groping around in the darkness, people who can't see, people who don't know where to go, what to do. That shouldn't be us. He's given us his spirit. He returned to the Father and gifted us with his spirit to be in our lives, to help us, to live our lives, to glorify him, to build his kingdom, but to do it all with him, which leads to our final promise this morning, not the final promise, because there's many, many, many more, but the final promise that we'll look at this morning, and that is the eternal promise of life with him forever. And this is what comforts us. When we have the funeral of our loved ones, this comforts us to know that this life is not all there is. There is life eternal. There's life that goes beyond this life. Most people spend their whole lives here preparing for life here on earth. They invest money for their retirement so they can be comfortable. Parents write their wills so their children will have some resources after they're gone. They're preparing for life here on earth. They're making plans and goals and lists and activities that need to be done upon their death. All that planning may be good, but there's a better plan and a better promise 
from God himself. In John 14, he said to his disciples, if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come back again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may also be. Where I am, you may also be. He wants us to be with him. He doesn't say, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and then I'm going to send you there. I'll be over here doing this stuff. He said, I'm going to take, take you and bring you to myself. The fullness of life, which we have yet to experience in fullness, because we're here on earth, we're bound by these earthly bodies and all that. The fullness has yet to be experienced. When we see him face to face, it says, then we will be like him. We'll finally sort of over, overcome that obstacle. Jesus said he'll come back. We have that as a promise. We are preparing for that in this life. He's preparing a place for us in heaven. And when it's all ready, he's going to come and bring us to that place. And our future's settled. It's done. It's a done deal. We didn't earn it. We received it by faith. As I study God's word, and as you study it as well, I hope you have learned. Christ doesn't just make random promises. He's not like anyone else. His desire is when he speaks, that settles it. That's it. We should have no doubt in his words. See, he was making himself known through his promises, encouraging us to hold on to those promises when we make a firm decision to follow him, to draw close to him. Let's just review these six things before we go. He promises salvation by grace, by his sacrifice for us. He promises to give us purpose in life, that we have meaning, that we have gifts and abilities that he gave us that we should use for him. He promises that when we need rest and renewal, we draw close to him, he gives it to us. He's not holding that back. He's not trying to work us to death. He promises his presence through his Holy Spirit. And he promises that one day we'll be in that place where there's no more pain, no more sin, no more sorrow, no more death. All those things are gone. And we live in the fullness of life, the way that life was intended to be, the thing that we were created to live into is our relationship with God. So we're promised the full blessings of God all because Jesus said, I will. I will do that. And when Jesus says it, he means it. You believe it? Amen. Then stand up and let's sing about it. <laughs> 